The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Beginning in verse 1 says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. For I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. For the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Let's pray together. Oh, great and mighty God, we have come this morning. Your praise has been on our lips. It's been our joy to sing of you, to sing of your wonder and your mercy and your grace, to sing of your, of the wonder of your deliverance, the depths of your great love and sending to us your dear son who would live a perfect life, who would suffer persecution of men and who would die on a rugged cross, shedding his own blood that we might be redeemed. And we celebrate the redemption that comes to the cross. And even, and even beyond that, we celebrate the victory that comes to the resurrection. Lord, as we think, Jesus, of, of your conquering the grave, your conquering the tomb, your conquering death and hell forever, and opening a way that we might be with you in eternity, in glory, in splendor, in paradise of heaven. Oh, we celebrate that eternal hope that we have in you, Lord Jesus. And what you've done for us. And Lord, we come this morning with, with hearts that are hungry to feast of your word. You've told us to taste and see that you're good. Well, we've come to taste. We've come to pull up to your table. We've come to eat of your food. We've come to taste and see that you're good. Show yourself to us this morning, O oh Lord. Through your word, Lord, reveal yourself to us in new and fresh ways. Draw us to you. And as you draw us to yourself, Lord, we pray that you would, that you would conquer our fears. That you would deliver us from our troubles. Lord, we've come into this place from all sorts of walks of life. We live in a world that brings much trouble. We live in a world that gives us many reasons to be afraid. And yet you give us better reasons not to fear. And you give us better reasons to be at peace and to rest in you. So draw us to yourself. Help us to see you. Help us to know that you're good. Help us to know that when we look to you, we find everything we need for life, for godliness, Sanctify our hearts. Sanctify our lives. 
Sanctify our homes and our families. Lord, some have come this morning who need encouragement. I pray, Lord, you just encourage them. Build them up in their faith. May they know that whatever they walk through this morning, they don't walk alone, but you're with them. May they sense your abiding presence even right now. Lord, whatever troubles we've carried into this place, we pray that in these quiet moments as we approach your word, you would cause our troubles to be far from our minds. You would cause the concerns and challenges of life to be far away from our thoughts. But that our minds might be solely devoted to hearing from you today. For you desire to speak. And you will speak. Give us hearts that are attending to what you would say. And when we hear you this morning, may we obey you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Empower our preacher this morning as he opens your word. And as he teaches the very words that come from you, open our ears to hear. Draw us to yourself. We wait with anxious anticipation. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Turn your Bibles, please, to First Peter. That's what this tells you on the screen. First Peter. Uh, if you go there, and while you're doing that, uh, let me uh, uh, do some, something else out of the ordinary. Although baby dedications might be more than in the ordinary these these days, um, you know Tim and Alina Whitfield. Um, many of you do in our church. Alina has a sister named Georgie, and she's married to a guy named Josh. Uh, Josh and Georgie Van Horn are with us this morning, and I want to publicly and personally congratulate Josh for graduating from Army Ranger School out of Fort Benning, and we are grateful for your service, buddy. We have no idea what you've been through the last three months, but we're grateful you were, and you did go through it, and we didn't have to, so God bless you. You're in our prayers, and thank you so much for being here today. Um, Chapter 2 of 1 Peter. The main part of our text, verses 2 and 3, but I'll read 1 through 3. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Pastor Greg, a couple of weeks ago, finished up chapter 1, talking about um, a biblical love. And he, he touched on this, uh, he just waded in this first verse a little bit. And Peter was telling us at the end of chapter 1 to love one another with a pure heart. And Pastor Greg asked this question, what does that love look like in your life? doesn't come naturally. But Peter encourages us here to, there are some things that you have to put away so that this love might express itself in your life. There are things that defile a believer. And he's to take those things and he's to strip them off like he strips off his clothing and he's to cleanse himself from the things that defiles his life. And Peter mentions five things there 
in verse 1. And all five of them uh, have to do with what was just said in the previous section at the end, toward the end of chapter 1. We're to love each other with a pure heart. What does he say? Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. There at the end of verse 22. But there are some things that will keep you from doing that that you need to get rid of. So he tells us what those are in verse 1. So, uh, that, that, that could be translated, therefore. What is therefore, therefore? Uh, it's therefore it's because it connects to what's been said already. If you're going to love this way, then put away. It's a, it's a strong, it's not so strong in the English, but it's a, a very strong imperative. Put away, strip off, take off, like you would take off clothes, strip off all, every kind, every kind of malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Believers must strip off malice. That, that word really is, means evil. It's more than what we would think of as malice. It's wickedness, deep-seated feelings against another person, long-lasting bitterness against somebody else. Put off, strip off the malice. Strip off deceit. That word, the the Greek word, is a word that was used for fish bait. Now, that's the ultimate deceit, isn't it? Here, I'm going to give you something to eat so that I can eat you, right? That's fish bait. That's the ultimate deceit. And we do that. We're two-faced to that way. When we want something, we, we try to give by flattery or false promises or just lying, outright lying, deceit. And those are two really outward expressions, malice, and deceit, and the other three can, can be more secret. Believers must strip off hypocrisy. That's, that's a, a word used in, in, uh, for acting, one who wears a mask. Jesus warns about hypocrisy in Matthew 23 in several places. One of the sins that God hates above all others, hypocrites uh, receive a greater damnation and. Matthew 23, 14. The children of hell, verse 15. The hypocrites are fools and blind, uh, verses 17 and 19. Hypocrites are blind guides, in verse 24. Hypocrites are full of all uncleanness, in verse 27. All of this in Matthew 23. Hypocrites are serpents, the generation of vipers, in verse 33. You're wearing a mask, you're faking it, you're play-acting. The fourth one, believers strip off envy. Envy, that means a person that covets what someone else has. It could be money or position or popularity or their clothing or or their authority or even their good looks. I struggle with that, envy, because I know you all envy my good looks. And... We're praying for you. But social status, recognition, all those things we envy. And even in our laughter, we realize that it's a part of our lives. 
And then strip off slander. The last one Peter uses here. Criticize, judge, backbite, gossip, condemn, grumble against another person, tear down another person. Strip those things off. Paul talks about those things as well in Ephesians 4 in several different places. Verse 22, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. He's writing the Ephesian church. They are Christians. He's writing to them, those believers. And he says, you've got to put off those things in your old self. Those things that belong to your... So apparently, some of those parts of the old manner of life are sticking around in these Christians. And it's corrupt through deceitful desires. Verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be away from you along with all malice. Then writing to the church in Colossae, chapter 3, verse 8, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Strip off those things. Augustine defines them as well. Augustine says, Malice delights in another's hurt. Envy pines at another's good. Guile or deceit imparts duplicity to the heart. Duplicity is deception. Hypocrisy or flattery imparts duplicity to the tongue. Evil speakings wound the character of another. And all of those things are utterly inconsistent with Chapter 1, verse 22. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You have a pure heart when you have all that trash in there. So strip it off. Putting off necessary for proper digestion of the Word of God. And you can't cover it up. You try to cover it up. You, you smell good today. You, you dressed up today. You put on your church face today. You try to cut. You know, I walk or and or run a couple of miles every morning. By the time I get home this summer, some of the days, the index, heat index is probably in the upper 90s. When I come into the door, Judy doesn't say, you stink. She doesn't say, go upstairs and put on some clean clothes right over those smelly clothes. You can't cover it up. The stink comes through. You've got to strip away all the nastiness. Put all these things so that we can grow in a sincere love for each other. Fervently, earnestly loving one another with a pure heart. And a good practical test for us today, and this is just the introduction. To, to what extent do we have to battle with feelings of ill will toward other people? So there are things to be stripped off. But there's just one thing to be craved. And that's our text. Like... Newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. That's the command. 
the reference to newborn babies goes back to the first chapter as well. In verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Born again, like newborn infants. You're born again. Verse 23 in that same chapter. Since you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word, logos, of God. And here that new birth is just brought to the forefront. And now you, like newborn babes. Now, somebody, some of you might read this and think he's addressing new Christians. He's comparing this church, these churches, these believers to new Christians. That's not the case. He says, like newborn babes. He doesn't call them infants. They're compared to infants longing for milk. Not divined as new converts. Some, some may be new converts. Some aren't. He's writing to the church. He's just illustrating one way in which all Christians, should, everybody, all believers, should be like newborn infants. And plus, he shows us how this reveals how we're totally dependent upon God in our lives. I had a conversation with one of our new mothers a couple of weeks ago. I don't think I'll give away who it was, since it could be 97 different people who had a baby in the last month. She was holding that sweet baby. I think it was Pastor Greg preaching, so the baby was asleep. Now, we both do that fairly to each of you parents. But she's holding that baby, and the baby's asleep in her arms, and she said she's forgotten since the last one she had how precious these times are. And I, in my usual way, said, yeah, and how many diapers you have to change. And then she looked at me with a sad look and said, yes, and how often and how much they eat. Like newborn babes long for the pure spiritual milk. Peter wants to give the readers of this letter a mental picture of infants craving nourishment. Now, you dads know about that. Your wife's breastfeeding the baby. So she feeds that baby. Then she hands that baby to you and says, I'm going to the store for a few minutes. And you've got this worried look on your face. She said, don't worry. He just ate. He's full. He'll he'll be fine. He'll sleep. But then that time at the store takes a little bit longer than expected. And he begins to squirm a little bit in your arms. Right, dads? You know where I'm going with this. He begins to whine a little bit. And then he begins to crawl all over daddy looking for milk. Right on cue, Henry. Good. (laughs) And then your wife arrives and you're frustrated and the baby's screaming. There's really nothing worse than that sound, right? She takes that baby to wherever moms take the baby to eat. and Boom. That baby gets 
what he's crying for. That baby gets what he's been craving. That baby's satisfied, at least when the baby becomes full. You parents know how newborn babies vocally and enthusiastically express their desire to be fed, their desire to be full. In fact, they babies act as if their very life depends on that food because it does. Are you craving the Word of God that way? You know, parents, I'm sorry. Those babies don't care about the curtains or what kind of crib you buy. They don't care about that cute little onesie that you got at the shower. No, all they care about is eating. And there are so many things that can get in the way of our desire for the Word just as well. It's an imperative. This charge is imperative. It's a command. You desire, crave, yearn, pure spiritual milk. And that craving and that yearning are to be constant, on and on and on. It's a strong word. It's essential. Hungering and thirsting after the Word. Too many believers crave the word here or there. Too many believers crave the word sporadically. But growth can only come as we take on regular nourishment day by day. Do any of us even remotely crave the word of God as a baby craves his or her mother's milk? The psalmist understood that craving in Psalm 42, verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. But it goes further. There's long for It's a strong expression. Could even paraphrase it. Develop an appetite for. God's Word is spiritual food that all believers instinctively desire, but we must cultivate some taste for God's Word. It's sad when Christians have no appetite for the Word of God and they have to be fed religious entertainment instead. It's happening all over the city right now. Thousands and thousands of people being fed religious entertainment The milk of the Word becomes the substance of life. And Peter describes it for us, and the ESV helps us here, or confuses us when it depends on how you look at it. What is the spiritual milk we look for? He uses two adjectives, pure and spiritual. Pure spiritual milk. Pure is in contrast to that deceit we talked about in verse 1. That, that deceit that believers are uh, to put aside, put aside this, put on something pure. It's the only time in the New Testament this word is used. Unadulterated, uncontaminated milk. Because contaminated milk makes you sick, right? Either the milk, which is the word... He's talking about it being the Word, or the milk 
contained in the word, which would be Christ. Either interpretation is necessary for us to understand this, the milk of the word. And as I started this message, three babies have gotten up and left. <laughs> you adults stay. We seek, that mil- we seek milk in other ways. We seek to be fed in other ways. We seek it in religion, philosophy, psychology, education, science, pleasure, fame, power, comfort, fortune. We seek. We seek milk, the milk of other things, those things. But none of those are pure. All of those are things of the world that has particles and dust and specks in it. Every pursuit on earth. The impurities of everything on earth are, are, are weak, and, 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 and those impurities and those things of the world are, are even quite possibly harmful to us. And the most tragic thing of all is every other pursuit of man will end when man ends, except a pursuit of the word. There's one thing that's uncontaminated. There's one thing that's completely and perfectly pure. No mixture whatsoever. And that's the Word of God. And the Word of God lives and abides forever. We see that at the end of chapter 1 there. All flowing, as Peter's quoting Isaiah, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of God remains. Everything else falls away except the Word of God. I don't want 2%. I don't want skimmed. I want pure, whole milk. And don't mess it up by adding something else. You could add the traditions of man. You add traditions to the Word of God, you make the Word powerless. Don't mess it up with that. You could add philosophy. All the wisdom of Plato and Aristotle. All that wisdom... Or maybe even bring it to our times, the wisdom of this management expert or that management expert or that self-help expert. I don't want it. Don't mix the word with those things. Now, Paul said in Colossians 2.8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Are you willing to go to the Word of God for answers to the most complex problems of life? Don't add psychology. Don't mix it up with that. A bunch of confusing and contradictory perspectives. Do we really believe that spiritual leaders who are centered and focused on the Word of God, those that are in the church are competent to counsel? That's the title of a book, by the way. Counseling with the Word. Does that have any content to it? Does it have any power to it? Yes, it's the Word of God. Psychology will get you an audience. 
But there's no power in that. Pure spiritual milk. Then he uses the word spiritual. Not even sure what this word means. Logikos or logikon. Verse 24, he says, All flesh is grass. All the glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word remains forever. We know he's talking about the word of God. And he doesn't change when chapter 2 comes because there are no chapter divisions in the originals. And so he's speaking of the Word of God. The translators here of the ESV translates logikon as um, spiritual. It's only used one other time in the New Testament, Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The King James Version says reasonable service. Logikos is where we get our word logical, reasonable, logical. And yet we know he's talking about the word of God. Logos is the root of that. Most other translations say word there. New American Standards uses the the word word there, logos there, but it's not there in the original. And yet they help us out by interpreting what Peter is saying. Long for the pure spiritual milk. And we get to add the pure spiritual milk of the word. We know he's talking about the word here. William Barclay says, it is the word of God which is in his mind. And we think that what Peter means here is that Christians must desire with his whole heart the nourishment which comes from the word of God. For by that nourishment he can thrive and grow up until he reaches salvation itself. In face of all the evil of the heathen world, the Christian must strengthen his soul and his life with the pure food of the word of God. Why do we crave that word? Well, then he shares with us the purpose that by it you may grow up into salvation. Commentary Jameson Fawcett Brown says, The same word of grace, which is the instrument in regeneration, is the instrument also in building up, growing up. The main verb here is grow. The result of consuming the pure spiritual milk of the word of God is so that we might grow. Grow up into salvation. The purpose of desiring the milk of the word is that you would grow. And he uses the word, the term salvation again here. We talked about that at the beginning of chapter one as a parallel here with that chapter as people experience new, new birth. To say, bless in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And you remember we talked about, sometimes you'll say, well, I got saved on September 1st. You know, 1959 or whatever. People talk about salvation being a one-time event. But it's not. Your salvation begins when Christ called you to himself, 
when you repented and believed, and your salvation is confirmed when He comes again. It's a process, really. It's a process that's important. We see about that salvation again. Understanding, like he talks about in chapter 1, salvation being an end-time reality is true. And it fits with verse 9 as well, chapter 1. We won't read that. So the purpose of all of this craving, hungering, is that we might grow up in salvation Growth is evidence of progress in the Christian life. It's the Word of God that feeds the soul. It brings health and spiritual nourishment to you. Deprive a Christian of the Word of God and his life will shrivel up. His life will dry up. Which I might add is why there's so much dead faith in the evangelical world today. Like I said, thousands in church this morning, just all over Charleston, who aren't being fed the word, quite possibly. The greatest need of contemporary Christianity is a renewed understanding, a renewed appreciation, a revival. The role of Scripture in the personal growth of believers. Spiritual growth is very simple. It requires proper exercise and proper diet, just like physical growth. Third thing we see in this passage is the basis of it all. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. He actually says it in, in reverse. Uh, when, uh, if you listen to any sermons on this passage, most preachers start with verse 3. 3 could have come at the very beginning of the chapter. Believers are to long for the milk of God's Word since it's essential And they're obtaining their salvation on the last day. That longing is fitting. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, or since you have tasted that the Lord is good. He didn't write if just for them to doubt their salvation. He's not saying, well, if you've you've tasted that the Lord is good, then hunger for the word. No. It can be sense as well. He didn't want to create doubt in the minds of these believers. He wanted these readers to consider whether they they have faced the fact of the kindness of the Lord. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, the Lord is kind, the Lord is gracious. And he's referring to Psalm 34 that Pastor Greg read earlier. Verse 8, O taste and see. That the Lord is good. And, that, and when you taste, that, when you taste, it creates an enormous... You taste something good and sweet, it creates an enormous appetite for more, doesn't it? One taste 
creates a desire for even more. And in this case, you're tasting that the Lord is good because He's giving you His Word. The Psalm 34 apparently was important to Peter because he mentions it here. Chapter 3, we'll see again, he even quotes from Psalm 34. It's not only important to Peter, but we see that it's intentional in its use, too. The, the theme of Psalm 34 is God's, when God's righteous people are afflicted and troubled and under persecution, then God will deliver them. God will be with them. God will see them through. Their security is in God even in the worst of times. And Peter's writing to these suffering readers. They could take encouragement from Psalm 34 as well. Hope in God in the middle of your troubles. Hope in God in the middle of your trials. He's your only hope. Martin Luther said, Whosoever has not tasted the word, to him it is not sweet. It has not reached the heart, but to them who have experienced it, who with the heart believe Christ has been sent for me and has become my own, my miseries are his and his life mine, it tastes sweet. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Three things we glean from that little phrase that Peter shares with us. One, he reveals there is a period of time tasted. He's talking in the past tense. There's a period of time since they've experienced the Word of God. They tasted it, and now Peter encourages them to continue to receive nourishment from that Word. Crave it. Hunger for it. And once babies taste that nourishment, they don't stop Craving it until they're satisfied. The same is true for believers. Second thing Peter teaches us here. We don't see unless we dig into it. I missed it reading it over and over and over again. The word Lord relates to Jesus. You see that? He's talking to Christians about Jesus. If indeed you've tasted that Jesus, the Lord, is good. The psalmist is talking about God the Father in Psalm 34, the Lord God of Israel. And so even indirectly, Peter teaches us the divinity of Jesus Christ by making him the same person that's related to in Psalm 34. And then the third thing, good. That can be translated kind or kindness. It's a synonym for gracious. When the believer reads his Bible, when the believer studies the Word, he meets his own God in Jesus Christ who provides him untold numbers of blessings and kindnesses and graciousness. My paraphrase since you have tasted the kindness of the Lord in your election, then crave the pure spiritual milk of the Word of God, just like a newborn baby craves his mother's milk. And by doing that, 
you will grow to spiritual adulthood. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. But in many ways, it's up to you how much it's at work in you. For the command is crave it. Desire it. It caused you to be saved. And now it goes on to perform God's work in you who already believe. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you believers who are here today, this command is for us, particularly those of us at Grace on the Ashley. It's easy for us to say, oh, our church focuses on the Word of God. And then you look forward to Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Are you craving it on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday? I hear it all the time. Our church focuses on the Word. But are you only getting it at church? What about the other days? Do you hunger? The evidence that one has been born again by the Father through the Word is that believers continue to long for that Word and become increasingly mature. And as we become increasingly mature, it becomes easier to strip off malice and deceit and hypocrisy. You've got to get dig in. You've got to work at it. And I'm not just suggesting this. This isn't Frank Cohn just telling you it's a good idea. No, this is a command from the Word of God. Like newborn infants long for, crave the pure spiritual milk. Ask God to give you greater appetite for His Word. Those of you here today who aren't believers, only believers can understand the Word because of the Holy Spirit in them. But if you're here today and you're not living the Christian life, if you're not a believer, there's a promise for you in this Word as well. Because, see, it's the Word that God uses in the conversion of lost souls. We talked about this last Wednesday night for those of you that were here. Faith comes... Listen, if you're not a believer, if you're not living the Christian life, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The Word of God is the means of grace that God uses to save lost people. The Word of God is the means of grace that God uses to open your heart to the truth of His Word, to convict you to repent of your sin and believe that what Jesus did on the cross for you in your behalf is the absolute truth. Read this Word if you're lost. 
Start with the gospel. Go from there. God's word is powerful. God's word can and will draw you to himself. Crave, believer and unbeliever, crave the word of God every day for your good and for his glory. Let's pray together. In a moment, we're just going to sing one verse of a hymn we all know. Yet during that time, if you have questions, if you need someone to pray with you, I encourage you as we, when we stand and sing just to make your way back to the back. Pastor Greg and others will be back there to receive you and spend time with you. Do that if you would. Father, we're grateful for your word in our lives. We're grateful that it's the only way that you are to bring us to yourself. Our conversion is dependent upon your word. So is our growth. It's our nourishment. Convict us, Lord, of our inability to put it first and our ability to put everything else ahead of it. Do that in our lives, in our hearts, that we might pursue you in the only way that's powerful, by your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.